Welcome to episode five of the Urban Agorist podcast. Today, I am joined by Daniel and Robert from the Actual Anarchy. And uh, what's the other name of your podcast for normies? The Last Nighters. So the Last Nighters. Last, yeah, yeah. It's a less scary name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, guys, why don't you introduce yourself? Daniel, you go first. Um, just kind of let everybody know what your what what your shtick is. All right. Well, yeah, I'm Daniel Elwood, and my shtick is uh, my hetero life mate, Robert, and I have been lifelong friends, and we used to talk in uh, movie speak and movie quotes uh, back when we were kids, and we kept doing it, and we decided to start recording these conversations, and it morphed into a movie review show, but from a libertarian anarchist perspective. So we've been doing the actual Anarchy podcast for a couple of years now. Prior to that, it was called the Reed Rothbard podcast. And as you mentioned, we do the um, Last Nighters as a normie-friendly branded version of the show. So it's a little bit shorter, um, but basically we analyze movies from a perspective. We look at the morality of the situation. And then we also, you know, give our opinions on how good or bad the acting or the setting or the green screen technology was um, and all the rest. So. That's the, that's the main project that I work on, and I also do a bunch of other stuff. I have a website uh, called danielelwood.com that has a list of all of the other stuff that I do, and you can find links uh, to the actual anarchy and to uh, the Last Nighters, as well as Reed Rothbard and other things that I work on. Cool. Is there a difference between Reed Rothbard and actual anarchy, or is that just a rebrand? When we first started out, we were called the Reed Rothbard Podcast, and we didn't really have a format per se. It was just... Robert and I talking about current events, news of the day, and, and we often would relate uh, whatever situation we're talking about to a scene in a movie. And so it just kind of mm-hmm. progressed that way. And then um, we figured nobody knew who Rothbard was or only, you know, very niche circle of people did. So then we changed the name to the Actual Anarchy podcast. And then uh, after doing that for about a year and a half, two years, we figured that that was too scary of a name. So then we did an offshoot, like a spinoff version called The Last Nighters, which added a little bit more work, but I think it broadens our appeal a little bit. And it maintains the Murray Rothbard theme as he was Mr. Last Nighter for his movie reviews. Well, uh, correction, oh. Mis- Mr. First Nighter. First Nighter. Yeah, yeah. So we we are the almost antithesis of Rothbard in um, the quality of our argumentation. So <laughs> aren't we? Uh, we, <laughs> that makes sense. we have to be the last nighters. Uh, and I, Rothbard still exists as as a website, and it's mostly Rothbard articles and lectures, including um, transcripts of his lectures. I don't think I knew Rothbard did uh, movie reviews. Are those are those like published somewhere? Does the Mises Institute have them or anything? Yeah, yeah, you can find them. I think they're in some of his uh, compilation uh, books, like the Irrepressible Rothbard. Oh, great! Um, and I think in some of the journal uh, journals that, or what would you call them, like uh, Libertarian Forum, I think he has some of those in there as well. He famously did a Star Wars one where he ripped it. He didn't like it. <laughs> really? I can't wait to read that. I'll have to. I'll have to check it out. Maybe I'll link to it if I can find it. Um, yeah. All right. So the reason I asked you guys on, since you do a movie review podcast and this is going live on November 5th, I wanted to chat about the V for Vendetta movie. Um, but then also, uh, we had an election yesterday, allegedly. Um, and so today is sort of election day 2.0 recording on November 4th, 2020, obviously. Um, 
so we've got that to talk about. We've got V for Vendetta to talk about. We've got all kinds of other stuff to talk about. COVID's still going on. Um, so maybe we can just kind of have a conversation. Um, first of all, you guys have already done the V for Vendetta movie on your podcast. Uh, and you came to the conclusion, I think, that V for Vendetta is not a movie that libertarians should um, sort of like valorize. Is that is that the long and short of it? Well, we're, we're digging a little bit deep here. Uh, we did it about two years ago, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of people, when they first view it, they're like, oh, yeah, this is something to celebrate. But then when you view it again a little bit later, after maybe you've read some Rothbard uh, and, and given it some critical thought, and, and you realize that the origin uh, and the time and place in which it was made, it's sort of like a critique on uh, right totalitarianism uh, in the George W. Bush vein and also the Margaret Thatcher vein uh, when the, um, what was it, Alan Moore, Robert, who had written the original story and it was a leftist critique of the uh, hard right. Yeah, yeah, Alan Moore is a famous kind of communist socialist thinker slash writer and um yeah it was definitely told i mean it was originally written obviously in the 80s as a comic book and it was a critique of thatcher and what he saw as the her totalitarian regime um and then remade for you know modern audiences in what 2007 2008 what was it 2006 so it was bush era or bush two right around the time that the religious right was kind of in its demise. And so of course uh, that was when the left was pushing back most against it. Um, A lot of the themes in the movie have to do with uh, homosexuality and sort of homophobia and that sort of thing, which seems really quaint today to me. Um, You don't really, you don't really hear too many people who are uh, even just calling like using homophobic as a, as a, as a word anymore it's more i guess the the gender issues have sort of taken over that that sphere um which is probably a good thing really i mean things have leveled out since v for vendetta was out um yeah i would agree that this seems fairly um these days when you get like gay oppression type stuff in movies it feels very social justice warrior e and like what world do these people live in yeah but but back when this was made originally i mean I don't know if the original graphic novel had a lot of homosexual persecution, but England certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, famously, Alan Turing was forcibly sterilized. Lots of homosexual people were forcibly sterilized in the uh, in the progressive era, in the late 1900s and the early 2000s. Or no, sorry, the late 19th century and early 20th century. Uh, compulsory compulsory sterilization was rampant. It was very much all the rage in the scientific literature as a way to, you know, get rid of the undesirable traits in populations. Mm -hmm. And so lots of countries used it. Um, Famously, the United States, obviously Germany, uh, England, but tons and tons. I mean, it was just a popular thing that swept around the world. So, I mean, there's a list here I'm reading that says, you know, Bangladesh, Brazil, Canada, China, Colombia, Denmark, Germany, Guatemala, India, Israel, Japan, Peru, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, 
it wasn't just limited to a few places. This was the idea of how to get rid of undesirable characteristics and cleanse your population. So it's not that V for Vendetta is, you know, pushing against a straw man. Uh, It's, it's a little over the top, um, I would think, but it's, it's definitely stuff that has happened historically. Um, right. But it, it does. I mean, it almost, it almost feels like um, what's the, what's the, what's the name of the show that uh, it's on Hulu, the midwife's tale or something like that. The handmaid's tale. Handmaid's tale. Yeah. Um, where it's, it's like, yes, this is historically something that has happened in the past, but the idea that this particular form of oppression is happening or really could happen today is sort of absurd to me. Do you remember when Trump was first elected and the 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 big thing was Mike Pence wants to create concentration camps for gay people. And like that was legitimately something that people were fearing. It reminds yeah, me a they made bit of him that. they made Trump uh, and 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 Pence of course, uh, but mostly Trump to be this huge boogeyman that they were, you know, telling themselves and, and their own kids, you know, how terrible this awful monster was going to be. And I remember election night 2016 when we had the epic uh, meltdowns that, you know, my, my response to that was, well, these people um, created this monster in their own heads and, and told their kids how evil this guy was. And because they kept saying, like, what, what am I going to tell my kids that now Trump's the president? Uh, well, it's kind of on them for building him up to be such a horrible monster. But, yeah. you know, you mentioned the um, the episode we did on, on Be For Vendetta. Um, and that was, um, I think, episode 101 of our show. And we'll give you the link for it. But I think we mentioned um, that that idea that uh, Trump was actually one of the most openly supportive of the gay community uh, as his platform, as part of his platform. Yeah. You know, he was the first candidate open to uh, gay marriage and um, all sorts of other, you know, what would be viewed as positive things. Um, But of course the fear, which turned out to be unfounded uh, is much stronger than the reality, unfortunately. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the narrative that's being pushed in mainstream media uh, and uh, in, you know, the political class. I mean, politics divides, that's kind of the point of it. Um, You break off into factions and you fight over the ring of power. Um, if I'm going to mix my metaphorical movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and actually that's kind of one of the things that we've been seeing today, you know, we're, we're here in the midst of counting votes from Pennsylvania and Michigan. I think Michigan has been called by most of the news outlets, although uh, it seems like no two outlets are the same. You've got Fox news calling things early Reuters taking forever. Reuters hasn't even called Wisconsin yet as of the time I'm talking and Fox called them, you know, hours ago. Um, and so I think sowing divisions and sowing confusion, uh, I mean, it's just kind of part of the game. Is that, is that something that you would like to expand on or that you would disagree with or anything? Uh, I'll just say it's a feature, not a bug and, and let Robert take it from there. He usually has a good rant in him. Oh, good. <laughs> I love it when you put me on the spot, Daniel, this is fantastic. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Well, well, give me give me a little bit more to, to just jump off of Daniel. Well, the whole point of of politics is to um, 
have it be, you know, this choice or that choice. And so you have to basically assemble teams and then vilify the opposing side. You make them the other and, and you have to say how terrible they are. I mean, an example of this even was in the Democratic debates when Kamala Harris called out Biden for his racism. And then when called on it later, uh, like in a 60 Minutes interview or whatever it was, uh, they brought it up and, and she's like, it was a debate. Yeah. Cackle, cackle, cackle. It Cackling. was a debate. Cackle, cackle. It was a debate. And that was her whole response for almost two minutes. It was totally vapid, empty uh, response where she was just laughing off the question. But I think her, her point was she's just doing WWF. It's it's wrestling. Do you, it's, think, uh, either, a, do you think either of the parties actually want to win? I mean, if, if you're really, really looking deep, I mean... I don't think that anybody really wants this hot potato in their hands when it all when it all ends. It definitely seems like the Democrats this whole time have been throwing it. It's almost as if they don't. I mean, they, they continually throw up these horrific candidates. Uh, they know that it is a balloon. And nobody, I, yeah, like you say, don't wants to be caught holding this thing when it explodes. Um, and then and then the whole I, I don't exactly pretend to understand the adoption of all the crazy social justice nonsense. I, 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 I tend to think that individuals are smart, but crowds are really, really stupid. Mm. And I know that politics plays to the lowest common denominator, but and, and I know politics is pandering to the lowest common denominator. I, I, I get that. But is, is, are we all just playing this game? where we all know it's really, really stupid, but we do it anyway. It, I, I, I tend to, I want to believe that humanity is better than this, but I keep getting my hopes crashed. Yeah. It's like they want the power, but they don't want the responsibility. So yeah, for sure. It, and, it, it's know, almost, so it's almost, it's almost like, um, well, and I mean the, 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 uh, the minority party or the party that's out of power really does have a lot of power. I mean, you, you just have to look at the last four years. I mean, the, the media of course is completely full of Democrats. The democratic Congress ran roughshod over the president. Um, I, I think that there's, there's a lot to gain. If you're, if you're not already at the top, then there's nowhere you can go, but up. Right. And if there's anything we've learned about the, the critical theory is that, you know, we're all, they're all vying for oppression points and you can't necessarily be the victim if you're the one in power. So to be the opposition party, to be the underdog, to be the oppressed party, there's a real amount of power in that. You're right. Yeah. Um, Wenzel back in 2016 had, had been polling for Hillary to win, not because he liked her, but that it would have given the right the impetus to uh, pay lip service to the free market rhetoric, you know, to be against, um, you know, democratic, uh, the Democrat, you know, policies that would expand the uh, welfare and warfare, warfare state. But because Trump won, they went silent. And then it also gave the left a, a big boogeyman to build their coalition around uh, fighting and resisting, you know, hashtag resist uh, for four years. So, yeah, and building up the orange fear into this monster figure. 
they can claim all this oppression, which is real or just in their heads. I mean, I'm, I'm an anti-government guy, so I do agree that there is real oppression. Right. But the things that they complain about is, you know, mostly laughable. Why do you think it is that so many libertarians, or at least libertarians sort of in the uh, Rothbardian vein, um, seem to support Trump? Well, he's the he's the anti-establishment candidate, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if between Biden, if you're going, you know, deep state CIA Biden, yeah, you know, military industrial complex Biden versus the guy that the deep state seems to hate with a passion, seem but the media seems to hate with a passion. I mean, I think more and more people, as more and more people get lied about by the mainstream media, by the corporate press, they tend to, you know, kind of sympathize with Trump who just gets nothing but lies told about him in the press. So I, everybody hates libertarians, right? I mean, even though everybody lives kind of as a libertarian, but they yeah, don't libertarians. Like to libertarians, <laughs> even, libertarians. Yeah. Even libertarians, hate libertarians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, we get blamed what for every side losing the election every time. Yeah. I think, you know, this is probably the first election that I can remember, or at least the first election as a libertarian, where there's not really a plausible argument that the libertarian candidate stole votes from, uh, from, you know, your favorite candidate. I mean, Biden's probably going to win this at least uh, until um, courts start getting involved. Um, But I don't, I don't think anybody who voted for Joe Jorgensen would have voted for Trump. I think all the libertarian, well, not, I, you know, I can't speak with complete 100% 100% accuracy, but I think that a lot of the people who ended up voting for Joe voted for her because they hated Trump so much. I think the libertarians who would have voted for Trump absent a third-party candidate probably voted for Trump if they voted at all. I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, I know a lot of folks who um, they, they see Trump as a middle finger to the status quo, to the mainstream coalition of big tech, mainstream media, the progressive political class, the neocons, um, Trump represents a middle finger to them. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the owning the libs. Uh, and that's, that can be fun. And also Trump's a funny guy. You know, I, I like to see people freak out over things that he does and, and he likes to set little traps and get them to, you know, overcommit to something. And then, and then he, uh, springs something on them. And that's kind of fun to see. But, you know, if, if you view it as entertainment and that's really what it should be, you know, like government, if it should exist at all, it shouldn't matter who the president is. You know, it shouldn't affect your life that much. Uh, but it, it apparently does. And um, that that's a sign that there's way too much power being wrestled over. Right. And but but does it really? I mean, is the presidency anything other than just, I mean, anything other than just symbolic for most people in their day-to-day lives? Well, there's been a lot of uh, executive power encroachment, both by Trump and by governors Mm -hmm. uh, doing executive orders in response to the pandemic. And, uh, you know, we we may not know who's won this election, but um, to borrow from the narrative of 2020, just wait two weeks, right? And then that, that of course, means... (laughs) It won't be two weeks. It'll be, you know, how long has it been since wait two weeks was first brought into the the lexicon? Like that was in mid-March, right? Yeah. Um, and as we've seen from the lockdowns, depending on who your governor is, it really did seem to matter. 
like like a guy like Newsom or where we're at at Inslee, you know, they champion on the lockdowns as this wonderful thing that is going to protect us all from this evil, horrible virus that's killing everybody. Whereas if you go to something like, you know, South Dakota, it's uh, far more laissez-faire in that sense. Yeah. I, here in Minnesota, we've been mercifully centrist uh, for such a kind of left-leaning state. Um so, you know, I mean, we had a lockdown. It didn't last for too long. Um, actually, the, the George Floyd death was sort of the, the precipitating cause for us coming off lockdown. Um, I think the governor realized that he had created a bit of a powder keg. Uh, and so he lifted it the Monday after that weekend. Or I think it was the Tuesday because it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, speaking, of, speaking of lockdowns and COVID and all that, there's one quote from V for Vendetta that really, really stood out for me in the year 2020. Um, I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on it. And the quote is, you wear a mask for so long, you forget who you were beneath it. Uh, it it gets into V um, and his identity, his, you know, the way that he sees himself. But also, I wonder if there's some truth to it. And if there's some truth to the idea that maybe the powers that be are trying to make us as individuals sort of forget our own individuality. Well, we've certainly, the longer this goes on, I mean, I don't know how light your daily life is, but the longer these lockdowns go on, the longer, the more normalized this mask wearing becomes. I I think people can, you know, people say it's the new normal Mm. and you, you forget what life should be like, what life used to be like. Yeah. And especially for young kids who grow up with this, how easily is it going to be M to just, Oh yeah, go along. Oh, it's mask season. Everybody wears masks <laughs> all the time now. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to be, uh, at least we're old enough to remember before this started. I, I have no idea how long this is actually going to last, um, in conspiracy circles, they've talked about, um, you know, multiple years up to like five, four or five years. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Vin Armani, um, he's of the opinion that it, it's here to stay. The mask is now a piece of clothing. Like it, it would be as weird to see someone, um, in a public building, not wearing a mask as it would be to see them not wearing a shirt. Yeah. I, I I'm not a fan of, <laughs> of that, but I, I would agree Robert with what you're saying as well, that, that it's almost a boiling frog situation where you do it and it's just a, you know, it's a small imposition, right? And it's mm-hmm. just for two weeks and it's just, you know, not a big deal. And so people do it and then it gets extended and extended and extended. And it starts to feel more and more normal and people forget what life was like uh, even just a few short months ago. And, and like, you're right. When, when kids are kind of growing uh, through this, it's going to, become even more normalized for them. They won't even think of it as anything different, but the mask also does another thing. And it's like a psychological phenomena, you know, facial expression is a big component of communication. I mean, you see it in social media where people can just have all sorts of vitriol uh, because they're hiding behind a keyboard, you know, keyboard warriors, the ultimate keyboard warrior. If we keep throwing wrestlers into this, uh, I think that that also affects people interacting in social situations in real life when you can't see their um, facial expressions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, 
Oh, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, you know, you, you start to see people as less than a full, full human, you know, full human, full person, full other person. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's, and it's another way to divide the population. Uh, you got people divided into the maskers and the maskless. And the, the maskless probably see the maskers as cowards or uh, who knows what exactly what they you know what we're thinking you're 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 right at least in my case <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then the, those with you know masks see the mask less as evil spreading grandma killers and uh, you know it's another way for government to create division between us and your neighbors and you know if you're if you're a mask wearer you know eventually you you kind of see it as a i mean maybe they don't consciously think of themselves as like virtue signaling but when you see people driving along alone in their own cars wearing a mask you i, I question whether it's 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 for actual any kind of real safety reasons right it's just following the rules so that's 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 really what it is i mean you you see that more than you see anything else it used to be when it, when the mask thing first started it was you know my mask protects you and your mask protects me that was sort of the thing um now it, it really is just comply so that so that you're complying um one thing that i have noticed in myself and i think uh, a lot of other people can relate to this uh i've I've kind of become brainwashed and it's really, really troubling to me. Like if I'm watching a movie and I'm, and there's a concert scene or people are in a restaurant and there's not space between the tables. Um, or if they're talking really close to each other, you know how they do in movies because they're on camera and they have to be close to each other. Um, even this current season of, of television shows that uh, like the great British baking show, which is one of my favorite shows on TV. Um, it was filmed sort of like in an NBA bubble where they were just kind of quarantined off in a resort. And uh, so they, you know, they have no chance of spreading it to one another, but they get really close and they hug and they shake hands and all of that, all of that stuff where people are getting close and not quote following the rules. It, I, I get a little like, Whoa, these people are really being rebellious here. And I, I hate that. I hate that about my psyche. Um, I'm wondering if you guys can relate. I'm wondering if you guys have any uh, advice. My 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 one piece of advice to myself has been, you know, when I'm in public, pull my mask down under my nose so that I I just kind of break that break that mental chain that tells me I need to comply with these rules. Um, and now, more recently, I've started taking my mask off before I exit the building rather than as soon as I exit. It's because because like I said, it's really troubling to me that this mind control device that I recognize as a mind control device actually is controlling my mind. Yeah. And uh, no matter how resistant you are, I think it, it affects us all. I, I have felt the similar thing watching any kind of current me where people are not wearing masks. It's, it's it, not necessarily that, I, I think, oh no, they're going to give each other COVID or whatever. But I, it's in the back of my mind that, yeah. like, you know, that it's, it, it comes to mind, you know, it's like, it's ever present in your mind. You can't escape it. Even if you know better, you still feel it. It's, it's in, it's insidious. Insidious. Yeah. That's a good word for it. It's also a good movie. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> All right. So I think, I think the mask thing is super depressing. And like, even, even if the mask does have marginal um, benefits uh, as far as the spread of the virus goes, and that's a, that's a completely different conversation, you know, as to what works to end a pandemic or prevent vulnerable people from getting sick. Um, I think that the purpose of it in the end is more just population control. And if you're super cynical brainwashing and, and sort of mind control type stuff, which when when you say population control, you you don't mean like reducing populations. You just mean controlling populations. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's what I meant, but also reducing population, uh, which I guess, yeah, that is sort of the the traditional definition of the word population control. Um, that's clearly part of the agenda as well. Uh, if you believe the conspiracy theorists, which it's I, certainly I about do. control, <laughs> controlling. It's certainly about controlling the people, and you know that because the you, they say just follow the science. Well, which scientists? Yeah, and which scientists at which at what time? Because the the advice has changed from sometimes day to day, week to week, month to month. But no matter what it is, you're always supposed to follow, you know, the official authority figure, regardless of what they say. And it, it's 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 some serious 1984 bullshit. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, science changes sometimes. Like the what what is what is good advice now might not be good advice tomorrow. Um, so I'm not as I'm I guess I'm not as hypercritical of like oh yeah well in February they're saying don't don't wear masks, um, you know I I guess it's plausible that those studies where they're taking pictures of the way spit comes out of your mouth under a under a laser strobe or whatever it is, um, maybe it does maybe it does lend credence to the idea that wearing a mask uh, slows the spread of the virus I don't I don't know and I don't make a claim to know. Um. But it it does seem fishy. It seems fishy that they're treating this virus differently from how they're treating every other virus in the history of virology. Um, exactly. We went from 15 days to flatten the curve to just wear a mask and social distance until the end of time. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the flattening of the curve was the goal, right? That was that was kind of the thing. We we wanted to make sure that the quote hospitals weren't overwhelmed. Um, now it's we need to slow the spread. Why do we need to slow the, slow the spread? Who knows? Uh, I don't know why you want to prolong a pandemic, uh, but that's, that's the thing now, I guess. But yeah, governments live off a, a fearful population. I think they, anytime that you can keep your population afraid, they will look to government much as they do in V for Vendetta mm-hmm. as the saviors to save everybody. And I think way to bring it back. Yeah. Exactly. It, buddy. I think that's uh and I think that's one of the, the the roles that Trump plays for a lot of people who are either libertarian or just sort of your your general average Joe who is distrustful of sort of the 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 cathedral's narrative. Um and in when uh when you guys were talking about I don't remember which one of you it was, we're talking about how Trump's sort of a great troll and he's funny and um he's you know, he just kind of puts this stuff out there to 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 get under the to get under the skin of the media and the state's sort of establishment. It reminded me a lot of that scene from V for Vendetta where um, they're on the on the you know the comedy variety show and they've got the actor portraying the the 
the chancellor. And then they've got V who comes and isn't a terrorist. He's just a clown. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Certainly. Yeah. It's on uh, Gordon's show. Yeah. I forget the name of that show, but yeah. I, I forgot the name of the character. So you're, you're at least one step ahead of me. <laughs> but yeah, that's very much subversive. That is the, the role of comedy to mock those in power to kind of tell the truth with lies, as is famously said in this film as well. And of course, the, the those in power can't stand it, even though, you know, uh, and then when he gets black bagged and, and murdered. But um, yeah, sometimes sometimes comedy serves as a relief valve. I, I think back to my days of watching like The Daily Show back with Jon Stewart, back when yeah. it was actually funny. And, you know, you would... You'd, you'd have these moronic politicians saying just ridiculous things and then being mocked to the ends of the earth by this hilarious comedian. And you would kind of, you'd be more okay with it. You'd be like, Hey, well, you know, he's screwing me over, but at least he got his by being made fun of. And, you know, probably he should, he deserves to be made fun of. I'm not like saying he shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but you still should be also angry about it. it. You know what I mean? Like you are being attacked. You are being ruled by tyrants. It, it's something to get upset about. Uh-huh. It's not something to just laugh off. Yeah, it diffuses it. We all know one of the easiest ways to start gaining self-sufficiency is to grow our own food. Whether you're an urban agorist living in the city or an urban agorist at heart living on your homestead out in the country, you need seeds. Unique heirloom seeds are becoming endangered. 90% fewer varieties of seeds are planted today than just two generations ago. And just a handful of large corporations control the majority of our seeds. Seeds are disappearing all the time and they're being replaced by cookie cutter varieties that are bred for profit, not for flavor, robustness, yield, and certainly not the unique needs of your garden. Whether or not you're already gardening or saving seeds, I invite you to join me at the Online Global Seed Summit from November 17th through the 20th to revolutionize your understanding of seeds and the role they play in your and our collective future. To learn more about the Global Seed Summit, head to urbanagorist.com summit. When you sign up for the Global Seed Summit, you will connect with a global community of people who are committed to a healthier future. Now more than ever, people are beginning to realize the importance of taking control of their own food secure future. Take control yourself at the Global Seed Summit. Head to urbanagorist.com summit to sign up today and I'll see you there. You, uh, yeah, you mentioned the, the, I don't know if you were paraphrasing the quote, but the quote from the movie is actually artists use lies to tell the truth while politicians use them to cover the truth up. And, um, to bring it back a little bit to the election, I think that using lies to cover up the truth is it, it was the Obama administration used that tactic so well. And I don't know if you remember, but comedians at the time were talking about how hard it is to to sort of satirize Obama because he's just so suave and he's so just he's just so cool. Um, and all of this stuff, I mean, everything from 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 the IRS targeting conservative groups back then to Ukraine, which I mean, anybody who listens to the Scott Horton show knows how crooked the Ukraine deal was, ha- has known that for years. But now 
kind of everybody knows it. Anybody who watches something other than CNN knows it. What do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that they found it impossible to make fun of Obama? And so just nobody knew how corrupt he was. I mean, that was his main bragging rights from at the end of his presidency was that there were no major scandals. Yeah. Scandal free Obama. What a joke. Yeah. Um, it, it, he's definitely, he was definitely smooth and suave and he was an amazing speaker and he could get away with more. Uh, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt that he's got, you know, the entire corporate press, you know, kissing his ass all the time and loving him. And the entertainment industry. And the entertainment. Absolutely. Indeed. <laughs> So yeah, uh, he wasn't the butt of jokes. He wasn't the the fodder for stand-up comedians like George W. Bush was. And uh, yeah, it, it, it allowed, even though, you know, he just continued on with Bush's policies. Yeah. With just, no, not a peep. From the anti-war left, they just went away right after Bush, you know, was over. And they were like, oh, I guess we're done here. Because <laughs> now we got this suave gentleman ruling over us and murdering everybody. Right. It's, and, it's, it's, it's a strange mental phenomenon. Like if, if, if the, if the leader is actually an impressive individual that you're actually impressed by this elite person, then you're just like, Oh, well, he's probably doing a good job. And then the boogeyman takes over and all of a sudden they care about children in cages again, or right. yeah, for, but, or the, for, for the first time anyway. But, you know, just like uh, when Obama came in, the comedy sort of suffered. Uh, you you would have hoped that it would come back when Trump came in, but comedy didn't get any better. <laughs> yeah, Trump has ruined comedy. It's terrible. Trump's the funniest person on TV. I mean, the 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 late night talk show hosts they just tell the same joke over and over again, repeating it for four years. And it's not like you know Colbert tells, tells this joke over and over again, and uh, and you know. Jimmy Fallon tells this joke over and over again. They use literally the same joke. Maybe yeah, not, they go maybe to not, the most maybe obvious. Not but. It is it well, it is essentially it's this yeah orange crutch that they all carry around with them that is super lazy and I don't know. Maybe he's just killed their creative minds, or maybe they're just getting old. I don't know. But it used to be they had to work harder, and uh, the fact that they can trot out the same crap and their audiences eat it up still is mind blowing to me, but I guess it is confirmation bias. You know, they, you, 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 you think you know, Trump is terrible and bad and stupid and dumb. And then you got someone telling you that he's stupid and bad and dumb. And it makes you feel better about yourself, even if it's not exactly making you laugh all the time. So maybe one good thing about Trump uh, is that he, he did bring back a media that holds the president accountable and and I think that's a good thing. I mean, they were definitely overblown. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it is conspiracy theories and uh, just stuff that that doesn't hold any water. But do you? So do you think that? I mean, assuming that Biden is our next president or their next president, um, do you think there? Do you think there's any sort of impact that the Trump presidency will have had on the on the media um, as sort of like a? Um, counterbalance to the way that they they just sucked obama off for eight years no no i'm gonna push back real hard <laughs> yeah, james okay. um no i i think that the the media only picked on trump just because he's the great evil and so mm -hmm. they picked on him for all of these uh 
you know, boorish, um, mean things he did. And, not, and they never called him on anything that was legitimately a bad thing that he did in, in, in a position of power, mm-hmm. uh, policy-wise, militarily, or, or whatever. Yeah. They never went after him over things that would really be worthy of scorn. They always went after him. Oh, he was mean to this person. He tweeted this. He was, you know, he, he, he said this nasty thing. And oftentimes they were wrong or they were misconstruing the truth. So it's not that they were being a watchdog, keeping him in check. They were trying to catch him in all of these gotchas that most of them were wrong. Right. Uh, And I I don't think that my, my 10, foil hats on a little bit here um and this kind of goes back to the uh, you know the lockdowns and everything and follow this science i i think that they can't walk back what they've done they have to justify what they've done so they're looking for anything that will confirm what they've done and they will never admit that they made a mistake similarly with the media uh they won't ever call trump out on the things that, that uh, are actually bad that he did because he's doing the same things that obama had done and obama was doing the same things that bush had done and so when Bush was doing it, the left and, and the media were calling him out on it. But then when Obama started doing it, the exact same stuff, then they, they were silent. So that gave Trump almost a pass on those things to continue to persecute wars. You know, there's the genocide in Yemen and, and the support for the Saudi government and, and all these other issues that are legitimate you know, issues that had Bush been doing them, you'd hear about them. But because Obama started doing them or kept doing them, they were silent about it. And that gives Trump a pass because they can't now call out Trump on those things because that reflects poorly on Obama. Yeah. And let's not forget that the one time that Trump was was praised in his presidency sort of across the board was when he was dropping the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. Presidentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This this is this is him finally acting like a president. Um, So what do you I mean, is there is there a way is there a way back? Do the do, do we need to get a, quote, respectable Republican in office for them to to start holding the president's feet to the fire, but legitimately, I mean, they, they, they all went along with Iraq under Bush. Um, but I think that was more just the, the afterglow of nine 11 after a while, they started holding Bush accountable a little bit. I think, I mean, I was young at the time, so I, I don't know for sure, but. I think the corporate press is completely compromised. Yeah. I don't have any, hope that they will they are they are absolutely just another branch of the government so uh a harris administration is going to be silent on all the bombing and killing that they do they'll be celebrated for all their leftist socialist policies the mask mandate's going to be celebrated uh it's it's it's, it'll be a nightmare a harris administration yeah indeed do you think do you think do you think there will be a biden administration uh, maybe for like a day. Yeah. I, I doubt it. <laughs> that seems I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I think he'll be alive for yeah. a while at least, but I, how much he's actually going to do or say, or even contribute to policy or anything. I, I think he'll, they'll wheel him out and he'll give a semi-coherent two minute speech and introduce the the president. You know, that's what I, I think he'll do. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe for, you know, the first year or two, but it'll, I think they'll slowly ease us in to the idea that it's actually a, a Harris presidency. Mm-hmm. That's just my guess. It won't be. So it won't be like Dick Cheney was the power behind the throne. You, 
it, it, it will actually be Kamala Harris, who is uh, sort of the face. And if not officially, then at least uh, as a figurehead, sort of the head of state. Yeah. And you've seen the interviews with Kamala. She reminds me so much of an interview with a Hillary Clinton. She's got that same. Oh, yeah. Sociopathic, power hungry, soulless personality. Laughing at all the weirdest times you could possibly laugh at something. Right. Not a human. She is absolutely (laughs) uh, a power hungry, power broken monster. And uh, this is this is all going to get really, really bad. The problem is. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. I just want to say, yeah, I, I think that she's actually worse than than Hillary because Hillary was at least kept in check with her her backroom deals and oh. and her kowtowing to uh, you know big uh, big bank and Wall Street interests. Uh, she was just going to be continuation of of uh, you know what Obama had in place. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Harris actually has uh, different ideas. She she prefers just the power for the power's sake, and maybe will you know try to push things uh, further than Hillary ever would. I think Hillary would have maintained a status quo uh, or the tra- the trajectory that was in place at the time in 2016 as Obama I, was leaving office. I don't know a ton about Kamala Harris. Does she have the same sort of Wall Street ties and stuff like that as Hillary or is she legit that she... Maybe not yet. Yeah. I'm sure she'll get them real quick. Yeah. Um, that So... Pushing back just a little bit, I mean, you sound a lot. You you sound really racist and and sexist, <laughs> talking about Thank how you. horrible these these ladies are. I mean, they're they're no worse than the than the men that they're running with, are they? There's something about the women that reach the levels of power that men do. You know, there's something there's something in a man, right? That that has the drive to succeed, to provide for the family, to you know, to be the best. To, to do all that work. And there's just so much fewer women that are willing to go through all that. Uh, and it, it takes a certain kind of sociopathic mindset <laughs> to, to do all that and to actually succeed and in, in politics, right? I mean, politics is, it's, it's, it's all a nightmare filled with predators and mm. murderers. So yeah, if someone's rising to the top of that, nightmare uh they're not going to be good people yeah i don't i don't think anybody goes into i don't think anybody goes into government quote service whether it's as a bureaucrat as a cop as a politician or even as like a public school teacher unless they have the aim to compel people to act according to their preferences and I, I mean, obviously, there's probably some exceptions to that rule, but I, I just don't I just don't see any other reason other than maybe your pension. And even then, I mean, that's a real compromise in your in your ethics and values if if you're going into it just for the money. Um, and and women for, you know, for all of the for all that women have accomplished in the last half century or so or century, maybe. Um, they have a lot more to prove. I think that a that a, that a that a female war hawk is just more likely to rise in the ranks because she shows her toughness. 
I don't even necessarily think that it's something that's sort of inherent to to womanness or manness. I think it's just something that, you know, if you're a woman and you're in politics in order to gain power politically, you have to be ruthless. You have to be more ruthless than the guys that you're up against. I mean, Margaret Thatcher is another example of that. Maybe she's the, maybe she's the sort of the prototypical example of that. Yeah. It's almost like they have a chip on their shoulder. They have a Napoleon syndrome that they've got to prove Mm. that they can hang with the boys. So perhaps it's a mask, Mm. a mask of toughness that they have to project out there and overcompensate for their perceived uh, lack of, you know, whatever machismo. Yeah. So then they, they overdo it and then become very, very unlikable uh, in interviews and speeches. And it's a mask they wear so long, they forget who they really were. Bring it back. If they were ever anything different to begin with, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, another, another mask reference. Behind this mask, there's more than just flat flesh. Behind the mask, there's an idea, and ideas are bulletproof. Reminds me a little bit of the Ron Paul quote, an idea whose time, to, whose time has come can't be stopped by any ar- army or any government. Um, but it can also be twisted and bastardized uh, by, well, I mean, anybody who has an idea that they think is is worth fighting for, really. Sure. Yeah. It's like the uh, the communists in Cuba, right? And uh, we recently did uh, Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. They were fighting for their communist revolution and they were willing to die for it. You can, you can, you can follow behind, you know, bad ideas and good ideas. The solution, of course, is sunlight and good ideas to um, counteract those bad ideas. But bad ideas are just as powerful. If anything, they're easier because they can be condensed down to bumper slogan, bumper sticker slogans. <laughs> you know, yeah. they take uh, you know multiple pages of re- uh, rebuttal, and, and they and pray. Even- and they can prey on your innermost fears and your deep-seated doubts. Like, you know, you are, nothing is your fault. It's, it's other, it's, it's the capitalist oppressing you by offering you a job, that kind of thing. Right. Well, and, and so many of the slogans are completely meaningless or maybe not meaningless, but just, yeah, I mean, inherently meaningless. They're, they, they are, they're, they're just in the eye of the beholder. However, I interpret build back better um, as comforting as build back better as a slogan might be to someone who interprets that as something actually constructive. Um, what the person saying it might mean something completely destructive. And we just don't know. I mean, build back better being a slogan that has been used worldwide, including by the World Economic Forum, including by the Biden campaign, uh, including by Boris Johnson, who, you know, Boris Johnson is supposed to be sort of the anti-Biden. Um, they're all using this 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 slogan. And yes, the words are great. And I would totally put that on a bumper sticker. Um, but what do they mean? What do they mean when they're spoken by politicians? What do they mean when they're spoken by billionaires and corporate titans? Um, what do they mean when they're spoken by me or you? And what would they mean when they're spoken by... Uh, you know, an anarchist like V or like the Antifa person running around in the streets. Sure. Or a phrase like Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I mean, how can I possibly deny that? Right. 
And yet, it's, what do you mean when you say it? Yeah. Or what are you doing when you scream it? <laughs> are you throwing a brick through a window? Are you Peace, peacefully, cocktail? Peace, peacefully, <laughs> peacefully protesting? Mostly, mostly peacefully. Yeah. But yeah, and you know, I noticed one of the campaign slogans for the Biden campaign was uh, the battle for the soul of the nation or, or something along those lines. Yeah. And I, that prompted, uh, it sparked a memory of mine of reading about uh, the Great Leap Forward in Mao's China. And he's quoted as saying uh, he wanted to get people, uh, their souls, to, uh, to uh, take in the revolution you know and so it uh it seems as if a lot of this sloganeering uh is is kind of along those lines you know maoist kind of they're almost like childish uh chants there's no real thought behind them it's just a, a matter of saying something that can be taken somewhat ambiguously mm -hmm. and then uh you just continue to to um to promote it and people don't have to think beyond that. They're outsourcing the violence uh, for the most part, you know, when they're when they're voting. Um, yeah, here's the quote. It says, uh, Mao conceived of it as a, quote, revolution to touch people's souls. And the aim of the cultural revolution was to attack the four old, old ideas, old culture, old customs and old habits. What a perfect slogan for Biden, the empty candidate. The, the all he was was just an empty vessel for everybody who didn't like Trump to project their desires upon, which is why it was he said so little during the Democratic debates. And he even said very little in the debates and the lead up in the campaign with Trump. He, he really Trump had to work to actually get him to nail him down to actually take a position on something, especially I mean, he wouldn't even say what he was going to do with the Supreme Court. And that was like famously he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't just, just like, well, I don't want that to become the story of my, what my actual <laughs> position is. How hilarious was that? And then he would deny, you know, when Trump called him out on uh, his fracking ban or whatever, he, he would say, no, I never said that, even though he said it multiple times. He, he absolutely couldn't be nailed down because every time he would actually take a position, you know, you could actually understand what he was about instead of what he was against. Well, and to be fair, Robert, I'm sure. I'm sure he thought he was being truthful because I can't imagine he could recall his prior position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be right about that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I don't know, man. Come on, man. I can't on, expect, man. be expected to remember that far back. Look here, fatso. All right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're we're about we're about done. I think this has been great. Um, why don't you guys kind of plug what you got going on? Where can people find you? Uh, I, I already have a couple of links for you, but um, what's, what's, what's going on in your world? What's the, what's the next episode of actual anarchy going to be? What, what can people look forward to this weekend? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. We just did the purge and that was uh, in the run up to the election here. Ugh, a movie uh, I still haven't seen. It, oh yeah. It's not great, but it oh. has an interesting, <laughs> an interesting premise. Okay. Uh, so up next, um, we have The Beast, which is about the Russian uh, Russians attacking Afghanistan in the 80s. And, you know, Robert, you were talking about in The Godfather 2, where the Cubans were willing to die for their cause. And that was how uh, Michael knew that they were going to win. 
similar with Mujahideen in uh, Afghanistan. And so that's going to be with the great Kyle Anzalone of the Libertarian Institute. After that, uh, we have Robert P. Murphy coming on for They Live. And then and then uh, the week after that is JFK with Pete Quinones. And the week after that is High Rise with James Jenneman of the Urban Agorist. Hey, that's so me. a bunch of heavy hitters. As a murderer's row of You're- libertarian ideas and thinkers. Okay, great. Uh, so you guys can find Actual Anarchy, of course, on any podcatcher um, and on the web, which I will link to at urbanagorist.com slash five. And I really appreciate Daniel and Robert coming on tonight and talking elections and movies and uh, conspiracies and everything else in between. And I will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks on your show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. Talk to you later. Thanks again to Daniel and Robert from the Actual Anarchy Podcast for joining me tonight. And thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Hit the like button, leave me comments and reviews. And most importantly, please share the show with your friends. And until next time, live free. This is the way-